Lord of mercy. Isn't that good? Don't you love that? I'll tell you what. If that didn't wind your clock, it's broke. Just flat broke. That's just good stuff. And you know who we're talking about? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One day we're going to see him. How many of you are counting on seeing Jesus? May I see your hand? That's good. I pray. It won't just happen. It's not by osmosis. It's by willful decision to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The message today is entitled, Ain't No Grave. Say that with me. Ain't No Grave. So you're going to help me out because that first service, when the lights went out, they became rambunctious. Some of them thought they were in their local whatever. And I mean, they just went, they got in there. And if you don't get in it, we're going to dim the lights. One way or the other, we're going to have you participating today. Amen. Don't you love Jesus? I do. 16 of you. Paul's writing here in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. This is what he said. He said, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. AD 33, Jesus walking on the planet, and he had in that early church in the book of Acts 120 or so that showed up to pray and the church was born. He had less than 200 individuals that really embraced him. He had 12 disciples, and the disciple means to uh, learn. Today, however, there are more than 2.3 billion professing Christians on this planet and declare that he is the son of the living God. And you wonder why we celebrate Easter when one out of every three individuals on the planet today declare a Christianity and as a follower of Jesus Christ. How do you feel about that? Does that excite you? Does that motivate you? Does that excite you? Does that motivate you? It does me. You see, that population is larger than Europe, China, and the United States all put together. Jesus never wrote anything down, but I got to tell you, the book that talks about him has sold more copies than any other book known to man. He never built a building, but there are more buildings uh, in his name than any other person on the planet. He never wrote any songs, but there are more songs that talk about him than any other person on the planet. And my friend, he never built a statue, but there are more statues today that honor Jesus Christ as the Son of God than any other person on the planet. And he never traveled more than 200 miles away from where he was raised. Yet in every nook and cranny on this planet, in some areas, you're going to find individuals who would declare, do you know Jesus? Yeah, I know him. I've heard about him. I've read about him. It's no wonder that we celebrate Easter, but it's because it's all about one man, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And when the resurrection took place, it split history as we know it, A.D. to B.C. Well, how did Christianity grow so fast? What happened? Well, those individuals that were really committed to Christ, that is bona fide followers, individuals that put their life on the line, they were contagious everywhere they went. Now, I want to pause here. This is not in the notes. 
There are a lot of professing Christians today. Are you a Christian? Yep, I'm a Christian. Uh, okay, well, let's talk about that. The Bible said you'll know them because of their love for one another. And secondly, you'll know them by their fruit. Now, I know a lot of professing individuals that are professing Christians, but the bottom line is they misbehave all the time, use foul language, never show up to church, very seldom individuals that, that you know, have hate and bitterness in their heart, individuals that, that use language and look at pornography, all of those things, but they're professing Christian. Now, listen to me. I want to talk to you straight on. I call it yard talk around here. You see, lawn talk, lawn talk is that nice manicured, everything is in order and decent, and it goes like this. Dearly beloved, we're gathered together here to celebrate Easter. We're so delighted that you came today. Now would you open the Word of God and take a look at the Bible? That ain't me. I'm a yard talker. And you know what I found out? Yard talk gets to the point a whole lot faster. It may not be pretty, but you know what I'm talking about. Amen? Little yard talk. Here's what God wants. God wants every professing Christian to endeavor to live right, walk right, think right, and do right. Amen? And say, if I'm a professing Christian, I want my light to shine so brightly that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These individuals, the early followers of Jesus Christ, my friend, they were contagious and they did not back away from their faith. Now, why, why was the resurrection important? I'm going to give you a few points. By the way, you have notes that we printed up and on the front and the back, saving money here. So you have it on the front and the back. And we're going to start like there on number one, okay? You'll know you're on the right side, says one. And here's the point. I don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore. Jesus paid the price so my sins could be forgiven. Now, all of us are imperfect. If you ever find a perfect person, my friend, it will be Jesus, and he's not on earth anymore. So somebody says, I've never made a mistake. You can justifiably call them a liar. Because the bottom line is we've all made mistakes. We all have regrets. And if we were to list them, we wouldn't like how long the list is. The Bible says, however, that when Jesus died for our sins, we don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore. Ephesians 1, 7, in Christ we are set free by the blood of his death, and so we have forgiveness of sins because of his rich grace. Two things the Bible says there, we are free and we are forgiven. They had six trials for Jesus. They were all sham trials. Three of those were religious and three were of the Roman government trials. He went to Pilate and then to Herod and then back to Pilate who was the Roman governor. It was illegal to have a trial at night. That's when they had his trial. They couldn't find anything they was guilty of so they had to pay a person to come in and say he claims to be God. The bottom line is that person thought that he was uh, betraying him but the reality is he was God. He was the son of the living God. The crucifixion was the most brutal death of all time of capital punishment. Why did he do it? So that I don't have to walk around in guilt and shame. They plunged the crown of thorns into him. They had the cat of nine tails, which was nine strips of leather. At the end of each of those strips would be a bone or a rock or glass. And when they laid a whip on him, it just shredded his back. That's what the Bible says. 
They didn't do it more than 40 times because they would bleed to death. They knew how to do it. But they, they, they hit him 39 times. Why 39 times? I know that most of you know the answer, but for those of us who don't, here it is. 39 times, because if you hit 40 times and you're doing it and you did more than 40, then here's what happened. According to the law, you got the same punishment. Somebody would scourge you. So here's what they did. Said, I don't want to go 40 or above. So we're going to hit him 39 times to be safe down here. And that's exactly what they did. But here's what they did. In addition, it wasn't a single whip. Nine strips of leather every time each one of them took their part of his life. You see, we understand that Jesus gave us our guilt-free life when he made this, this statement. Father, forgive them what? For they know not what they do. Forgive them. So here it is. He's taking a beating for us. So I don't have to live in guilt. I don't have to live in shame. I can forget forgiveness. And what does he do? He says, hey, forgive them. For they don't understand exactly what they do. What caused Jesus to go to the cross to that crucifixion? Number one, it was God's plan. God did it. It was in his plan that he do the will of the Father. Jesus said, I, it's not my will, but God if that's your will, Father, if that's your will, I will go to the cross. We know that he came to the earth as a supreme sacrifice. Now you pause for a moment and you think, how am I doing with my Christian experience? How am I doing letting my light shine? How am I doing being able to say I'm a professing follower of Jesus Christ? How am I doing with that? Am I living a life worthy of that kind of sacrifice? You get to answer the question. But Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus is crucified, said this. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of all of us. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. We understand that scripture 700 years before that actually happened. What kind of odds is it that that would take place when 700 years ago it was prophesied? Not only that, there were 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, and Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. The odds of that happening is astronomical. Who put Jesus on the cross? God did. It was his plan. But I'm telling you, I did. I did because I was a sinner born into sin, just like everybody. We're born into sin sinners. But in order for me to have eternal life, in order for me to have a life that I can say, God, I did it. I admit that I did it, but forgive me. I don't have to live with that guilt anymore. I don't have to live with that shame. I put him there because the only way that I could get that kind of forgiveness, that kind of freedom, that kind of liberty is that Jesus die on the cross. Romans 4.25 Paul writes, Jesus was handed over to die because of my sin, our sins. And he was raised from the dead to do what? To make us right with God. So crucifixion, he did it for me. The resurrection, he did it so that I could have eternal life. The enemies of Jesus went to Pilate and they were afraid. They were afraid somebody would steal his body, took him off the cross, put him in a borrowed tomb. And there are three things that they request. Put a big old rock. A big old stone in front of the tomb, secondly. 
put a Roman seal so that it can't be opened. And that Roman seal says nobody goes in there. And number three, they put the best of the elite Roman guards there. We would call them seal team six to stand at that tomb. Where were the disciples? They were doing what a lot of us would do. Most of us, they were weeping. They were hiding. They were in despair. They were wondering what in the world happened. The guy that we hung our hat on, now we are known enemies of the Roman government. And it was illegal to become a follower of Jesus Christ. If you did it and they found out, they in fact would torture you, in fact crucify you, behead you, and everything that went with it. Number two, not only do I don't have to live in guilt, I, I, I don't have to fear death. I can die ready to go. I'm ready to go. Say that with me. I'm ready to go, just not today. Right? Fear death. You see, it's the unknown. The number one fear in human beings today is the fear of dying. Now, I've been with those who died, and I knew that they knew they were in love with Jesus Christ. But I've been with some people and some families that they weren't sure. Do you know what the question, as long as they were conscious, they kept asking me, do you think I'm ready? Do you think I'm ready? And you know why they asked that question? Because they lived a lot of years and took advantage of God's grace. Lived a lot of years believing they had one more day. Took a lot of years, a lot of years, and just took God and his church for granted. And they get to the end of the road. I want to tell you something. They're going to meet death. And always and every time that I had an opportunity, I prayed a sinner's prayer. And I was able to tell them, hey, you're right with Jesus. You know what they could not comprehend? How could it be so easy? How could I get to the end of my life and just pray a sinner's prayer? And all the things that I've done and all the times I've told God no, all the times I didn't know what I should, is it really, is it will he really accept me? Pastor, is it really possible that I'm born again? The Bible said if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, as long as there's life in your body, he will give you grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Amen. You are ready to go. Come on, put your hands together and help me out. I don't have to live fearing any death. That is absolutely wonderful. But here's what God does. Christianity sped, spread so rapidly because there were eyewitnesses. It said uh, in 2 Peter 1.16, we told you about the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're saying, hey, just like anybody, we're not telling you made up stories that somebody invented. Rather, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In other words, there were 500, the disciples, Mary, and others that saw him after the resurrection. Why do you think he did it? He wanted to say, I'm not going to ascend just into heaven. I want to give an opportunity for people to actually see a resurrected body. So he appeared to them. Now, you know what? If you see something and you're in your right mind, nobody for the most part is going to come along and tell you what you didn't see. Y'all with me? You're, you know what you're going to say if you're in your right mind? I don't care what you say. I know what I, <laughs> I know what I saw. And that's what happened. There are those that would say, oh, you didn't say, no, I know what I saw. I saw him. I saw him crucified. I saw them in that tomb. 
I know that he was there. The guards were there. But after he came out of that tomb, I want you to know that I saw him. That church in Jerusalem grew to 150,000 in less than a year. Started with 120 to 150,000. You know why? There were many people that said, I, I saw him. I don't have to fear death. Number three, I have God's spirit in me. The spirit of the living God. Amen. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he sat down at an open fire pit or something like that. And he said, I'm going to let them arrest me. They're going to nail me to the cross, but three days later, I'm going to come back to life. You know what? You know what I'd say? I'm going to say, yep, sure. But here's what I couldn't reconcile. If I were one of the disciples and he told me that, I'd say, but, but I saw him walk on water. And I can't explain that. Oh, here's something else. We were drinking water at the wedding, but the next thing I know, we had the best wine that we've ever tasted because he prayed over it. I can't understand. I, I know that I saw lepers that had leprosy and had it for years, and I watched them become instantly healed. And I saw the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda. I know that man was crippled. I've been there many times, saw him beside the pool. And when Jesus said, take up your mat and walk, that guy got up and was immediately healed. So now when Jesus says, hey, I'm going to let them nail me to the cross. Do you know that nobody took Jesus' life? He freely gave it. But I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the tomb. But listen, after three days, three days, I'm going to come out of the tomb. And I'm going to walk around for 40 days so everybody can see me that, that needs to see me. And then I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Heavenly Father. Where is Jesus now? Two places. He resides in my heart if I am a professing believer. Otherwise, he's at the right hand of the Heavenly Father making intercession for me. You know why? He knows Wayne Blackburn cannot make it without a little help. How about you? Got to have a little help. Say that with me. Got to have a little help. For the rest of you that didn't do it, got to have a little help. There we go. How about it, balcony? Y'all with me up there? Wave at me if you don't mind. Okay. It's good. Got to have a little help. I know a lot of people. <laughs> got to have a little help. So he says, when I get to the Father... In Acts, the first chapter, verse number eight, he said, you can't make it on your own willpower. I'm going to send you a comforter and I'm going to send you a spirit that will reside in you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Those individuals could not function in their own power. Until Jesus ascended, the disciples were there. They could lean on him, lean on him. Well, here's Jesus. Talk to him. He did the miracle, not me. But when he ascended after the crucifixion and the resurrected, he said, I got work for you to do. You're going to become the church. You're going to become my ambassador. You're going to become my disciples, my apostles. You're going to become my followers. So he said, I'm going to give you a power that will give you boldness and allow you to be able to share the good news of the gospel to everyone that you meet. And that's what he did for you and me who are in fact followers. 
Paul writes in Ephesians 1.19, I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. I have the power. We don't have enough willpower to be able to do it. So, if a person is a professing follower and they can't ever seem to live right, and they don't love everybody, and, and they don't have any fruit in their life. They're just a talker and not a walker. I don't know that I would want to put my assurance on them. You with me? But if I see a person that says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And matter of fact, most people that I know that are true followers don't go around telling everybody. You know what they do? They just live it. Isn't that right? They just live it. You're not going to hear them curse like a sailor. Hello? You're not going to see them go places that they shouldn't go. You're not going to hear them talk about their old lady. You're not going to hear them talking about all the time the difficulties of life. You're just not going to see it. You're going to see them from time to time read their Bible. You're going to hear them just live the kind of life that you know in your heart, hey, that person's got the fruit of knowing Jesus Christ. And you know who you're going to go to when you need prayer? You might be a little skittish, but you're going to go to that person that you believe has a connection with God, and you're going to say, my wife has cancer. If you don't mind, do you mind whispering a little prayer for her because she really needs it? You're not going to go up to the person who you know goes down and drinks a keg of beer, curses like a sailor, and lives a life that is so despicable and wrong and say, you pray. You know why? You know better. And no Christian you know is perfect. But there are many like you who say, I'm doing the best I can. Because it's not by might nor by power, but it's by that spirit that resides in me as I serve God. Hello? Everybody with me? Ah, that's good. We're grateful. Why? I'm unconditionally loved by the Lord. God's not going to stop loving me. He's going to be with me. He's going to work with me. He's going to prod me. He's going to correct me. He's going to scold me. He's going to open his arms and, and pull me close. And matter of fact, he's going to take me out of the muck when I got myself there a lot of times. You ever been in trouble? You knew you were in trouble and you were responsible for it. And some way God came along and just said, okay, I know you knucklehead. I've told you over and over again. One more time, I'm going to reach down, pick you up, set your feet down. I want you to do better from now on. Do you love me? Yes, sir, Lord. You know right now I love you with all my heart. You know what he just gave you and me? Grace and mercy. Amen. Grace and mercy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. So he said that he's going to continue to love us. Then he tells us in John 13, 34, I want you to love one another. How many of you love everybody you know? How many of you have people that 
I love everybody. I'm being transparent. Around here, I don't say, let's be honest, because it provokes the question, well, if you got to tell me when you're going to be honest, then when are you dishonest? You know, you got to qualify. Well, I'm going to be honest with you at times you're not. I, so I say transparent. I love everybody. But there are some people I just don't like. <laughs> Y'all with me? I'm relating to some of you. I, I know, I know you just, you just don't like, well, you can't. Oh, sister so-and-so who's so super spiritual. Now, pastor, you know you can if you really do love them. You got to like them. You work on that. I keep asking God to help me. But here's what I found out. In that process, I don't have people that I'm ever going to say that there might be a time that I don't, I don't, that I like you. I had a situation recently that, uh, and it was on our Israel trip. And my opinion of that person and what their persona and what and how they reacted to life was one way. I'd never had a 10-minute conversation with a person. But on the trip, I found out that person was nothing like I thought they were. Nothing. 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 It was amazing. And I went to them and I said, you know what? I'm going to confess to you. I thought you were this way. I thought you were quiet. I thought you didn't have much of an opinion. I thought you, you just, you know, but I found out you got an opinion. <laughs> I found out that you love life. I found out you love to have fun. I was dead wrong with you. How many of you know you can be wrong about some people? That's right. So here's what God said. I love people, and I want you to love them unconditionally. Here's something else God showed me this past week. As, uh, we had the annual business meeting on Tuesday night. Thank all y'all for being there. But I was looking at the scripture where it says that, that he said, I am the God of the living and not the God of the dead. And boy, that just torpedoed me. And then I began to read again on death. That death is no hope. And that when a person, as long as there's breath, there is hope. You believe that? If there's breath, there is hope. And he said, I am the God of the living. And I'm using it in terms of a life in eternity. I am the God of the living. But if you die and you breathe your last breath and you never invited God into your life, you are dead twice. You're dead physically and you are dead spiritually and have no hope. And that scared me to death. I looked and I thought, God, is it true that the loving God that I understand, that I know, I trust, that I serve, that I preached going on 51 years, that when a person dies, 
There is no God. That cold chill of hopelessness comes in on that body and that spirit when it dies. And there is no hope for eternal life. And when that hit me, I thought, I've just got to tell about that. It caused me once again to re-energize my efforts to reach people. I talked to a person yesterday. How are you going to celebrate Easter? She's well, we don't do the church thing. We don't go to church. We do the bunny and the eggs. Here comes Peter Cottontail. Right running down, whatever it is. Old Peter ain't going to help you. You breathe that last breath. We don't do the church. They have kids. They have four. Got their ages. Sharon to me said, if we're leaving, you get more out of people in five minutes than anybody I've ever known. I do. Because I want to care about lost humanity. And there might be a little door that opens in my conversation with you that I can say, let me talk to you about that. But I thought about four children who's not raised in church, not even Sunday school, not a Bible story, not anything about Jesus. And who's responsible for that? Mom and dad. Death. Jesus said, you don't have to worry about dying when you truly follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 3.10, this is how we know that we are children of the Lord or children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone that does not do what is right is not a child of God nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is what message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Y'all with me? Yes, sir, Reed. We understand it. Now, the first 300 years, it was illegal to be a Christian and to be a follower of Christ. If you were known as a Christian, you're going to face some kind of torture. You're going to face judgment. It was Saul's job to stamp out Christianity. He had many followers, even after his conversion, that picked up his mission to destroy any little church, destroy any Christian. You would go to the gladiators, and they would use you as as human toys, feed you to the lions, tar you, light you on fire, behead you, etc. But these people who were committed followers of Jesus Christ had a conviction in their heart that they saw Jesus So what does God do? Saul, who was the chief terrorist and had a writ from the Roman government to destroy the church. Here's what he had. Jesus encountered him through the Spirit. And he was on his animal, headed to Damascus, falls off in the dirt. And I can hear God whispering to him now, what are you going to do now, big boy? Show me one of your diplomas. Show me one of your swords. Go ahead and give me a great oratorical study on why you ought to destroy Christians. He was so blind 
that he could see no light whatsoever, that he had to turn to individuals that he had no respect for because they were slaves and servants unto him and said, if you don't mind, take me somewhere I can rest. And in that total blindness, God came on the scene and revealed to him the truth, and he received his sight. But not only did he get his physical sight, he got his spiritual sight. I pray as we, under, we understand that, we know that if we try to live of our own will and we do what I want to do, I don't know a man alive that doesn't like to do what he wants to do. You know? And I know a lot of women, they want their way. How many of you want your way from time to time? Come on now, help me out. Balcony, come on, wake up now. How many of you want your way most of the time? Hello? And you know what you do? We pick our battles. We say, this is what I want to do, but it's not worth the fight. So I'll give it up, and one day I'll circle back around, and I'll get what I want. We all want our way. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's big wrong when your way is the priority as opposed to God's way. And we all know God's way. He said, if you insist on saving your life in Mark 8, you're going to lose it. And only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it really means to, in fact, live. And there were those in that day, that 300-year period, who risked their lives, according to Acts 15, risked their lives in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number six. I want to go to heaven, and I want to be certain about it. If you want to go to heaven, you ought to know you're going. Are you planning to go to heaven? Well, I don't know. I hope so. No, 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 no. If you want to go to heaven, you better know so. I don't have any doubt. I know I'm going to heaven just as I am without one plea. It's not perfection in me that's going to go to heaven. It's not that I've done everything right that's going to go to heaven. Here's what's going to go to heaven. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you went to the tomb and you were resurrected on the third day. And you said, if I confess my sins, you will justly forgive me and redeem me. And then, Lord, I'm going to follow you as much as I can. I want you to know my life is not my own. You're going to be the priority. I want to give you my heart, soul, and mind. I'm going to be the best follower that I can possibly be. Now ask me if I intend to go to heaven, and I'm going to say absolutely, because I trust in Almighty God. It's not about me or my goodness. It's not about me or my goodness or who I am. It's who He is and what He did for me. Well, I've been a good person. Fooey. Good people ain't going to make it. Redeemed people are. Redeemed people. You see, this early church, they knew it was illegal. And the Roman government would come after them. And when they met up with them, they would walk right up in the face of the guards and stand there and say, go ahead and kill me. Whatever you want to do to me, take my life. But here's one thing I won't do. I will not recant in my commitment and faith to Jesus Christ. So if you want me, here I am. 
And when you have that kind of faith, it tormented the Roman government. So that the end of 300 years, when it was illegal, you know what Rome decided to do? If you can't beat them, join them. And this is what happened. The Roman government then named Christianity as the lead priority of religion in Rome. It was Christian. Why? They said, these people you cannot get rid of. They are contagious. I heard a report this morning about 4.30 on television. I'm sure most all of you saw that. <laughs> it's talking about the measles in New York. And there is in a certain area, there is, you've got to get vaccinated if you get some measles. And, and this is what they said. It said that, that if 10 people are in the room with a person that has the measles, and I'm just telling what I heard. If 10 people are in the room with a person that has the measles, the measles are so contagious that 9 out of 10 of those will get the measles. And it said they will get them at least two hours after the person who's infected leaves the room, they still will get the measles. And I'd say that's pretty contagious, wouldn't you? The followers of Jesus Christ said it won't be 9 out of 10. It'll be 10 out of 10 for us. Amen. And they did not recant. And then the church exploded with growth. Because there were those who were willing to give their life and everything that they had and everything that they owned. 1 Peter 1.4, we have been born into a new life which has an inheritance that cannot be distorted or corrupted and cannot fade, cannot fade away. Well, now, finally, we come to this truth. It is an important truth as soon as I find it. Here it is. <laughs> you know I love to play with you, don't you? You got it? I can be certain that I go to heaven as six. And we understand the value of that. Are you certain? Do you love him? Do you know him? Are you committed to him? The Bible says that when you go to heaven, John the Revelator wrote in Revelation. He said, I had a vision of heaven and I had a vision of Jesus. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, As it is written, no eye has ever seen, no ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love them. And in John, some were questioning. And they said, how do we know the truth? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So that is a path. Buddha. In a very famous statement, right as he was dying, said, I am still searching for truth. 
Jesus said, I'm not. I am the truth. I'm not teaching truth. I'm not searching. I am the truth. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Amen. Would you stand? The Bible said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, what will he do? He'll come into your life and redeem you. Now stay with me for a few moments. I'm talking to two people. One, I'm talking to that person that really hasn't totally committed to Christ. You just haven't. You've never really nailed it down and said, okay, I'm going to be a Christ follower. I'm going to wait till everybody moves because this is the most crucial time of service. And friend, let me shoot straight. Lunch is not more important than this moment right here. So I'm talking to that person or persons or that couple. You've not really nailed it down. And then I'm talking to the one who says, hey, I've nailed it down, but I'm a little floppy, a little swervy, not as committed, not as on fire. And I want to get back. I want to get back to that altar. I want to get back to the power and the love of Jesus Christ in my life. That's who we're talking to. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to ask everybody here and those of you online that are watching, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you guys, I'm going to ask you to repeat it with Pastor Randy, and let's see how this works. Everybody in the room, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus I, believe by faith, I believe by faith you died for my sins. So I come to you with a humble heart and a life that needs help. I want to know if I died, I would go to heaven. I want to know for sure. So here's what I'm asking you. Forgive my sins, every one of them. And my desire is to follow you. I may mess up, but my desire is to follow you. I might have old habits that still haunt me. But I desire to follow you. So help me, Lord Jesus, through your spirit to be the kind of man, the kind of woman, the kind of young person, the kind of child that follows you. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe by faith that God spoke to your heart. I have a book that I want you to have. It's right here. It's an important little book. Here's what it says. Grace from the cross. We have them just for you. But here's what I know. If you win the lottery, so I'm told, you got to go to Tallahassee. Is that true? I mean, he's ever been. You got to go to Tallahassee to retrieve 
your winnings. Did you know that? How many knew that? I did. How many didn't know it? How many don't give a rip? Well, I'm telling you that if you win, you've got to go to Tallahassee to get your earnings. How many of you are married? How many of you are happily married? How many of you said, when I say the last I do, and that preacher says, I now pronounce you man and wife, what's he going to say then? You may now kiss the bride. Start your engines. Well, you prayed a prayer, and I'm asking you that you may now kiss your bride, who's the Heavenly Father. This little book will help you. That's all we're asking you to do is do something that says, I claim something to seal my faith and what I prayed. So as we sing this song, you really want to engage. You really want it to happen. Don't be ashamed. In the balcony, just because you're stuck up there, there are stairs all the way down to the floor. You don't have to jump from up there. You can walk the stairs to get this book right here. Would you do that as we sing? I'll give the benediction in just a moment. Here we go. Here it is, everybody. Come get it. folks come right on down we'll wait just a moment tonight I'm going to be speaking because we have communion in one hour as we honor God about you about your vessel about what it does and something brand new the Holy Spirit gave me I want to share it with you so here we go Heavenly Father I thank you for every person who heard us online and who have responded. God, I pray you touch every person in this room. I pray that they'll be back next week as we start a new series, Meet God. It will be encouraging and uplifting. Pray you'd help us as a church to do more than we've ever done. I pray that you'll touch every person, give them favor here as they serve and honor you. And Lord, we'll thank you because we know that you always prevail and we need your favor. In Jesus' name, 
Everybody said amen. I trust you have a great Easter. Enjoy your meal. God bless you. Be careful and behave as you leave the parking lot. Amen. Love you, everybody. Happy Easter.